When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. Stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. Stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. situation I don't know if I can even talk and as we cried out the song ministered to me if we realize who we're calling stand by me with all power all healing Lord stand by me what a privilege we have in Jesus the one who hears our cries who answers our cries who knows us who reaches down when we're in the depths I could just feel that Oh, I thought, oh, my, oh, my, Elizabeth. Oh, I can't understand. But praise God we have someone to call him. Well, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. Stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, Stand by me.
This world. 
Precious are his thoughts of you. 
God has been good. He's been so very good. I have been blessed. Oh, Lord, my God, when I Oh, 
brought up, Bob. Anybody that doesn't have any troubles, uh, I would like to ask you, you come up here and help us. <laughs> We've all got troubles. Everybody's got problems. And uh, I, I thought a lot this week about the little baby falling, and I thought about sometimes we wonder why, why things happen. We pray God's protection. Don't we always pray for God to protect our little children? And yet, Liz, at the same time, God's not striking kids down. God's not causing evil things to happen to people. God is a good God. Bobby said it. He's always been a good God. And he's always loved. He will take everything that we do. And I want uh, Emma, I don't know if she's here, but I want her to understand that, you know what, anything that ever happens to you, get that in your mind, I'm going to turn to God. I don't care what it looks like, I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to say, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. We're living in a fallen world. You know it and I know it. Mankind. God didn't make a mistake making man, but God does not. He made Adam and he made Eve. And can I tell you, God, just like we look at that little baby, we know that God did a great thing that day. But you know what? That was the highlight of his, of his creation to make man. But what he was wanting was he had to give him the, the privilege of saying a free will to choose to love God back, to choose to serve God back. If we have sin in this life and we have problems in this life, can I tell you, they didn't first stem from God. They stemmed from men. I can't help what happened. I don't care if it's a, a catastrophe to you or to me or whoever it is. It comes down to sin has entered the world and sin is causing the destruction. The enemy has moved into homes, families, and hearts of men and women. And he's destroying it. You know it and I know it. That isn't what I'm going to preach about. But I know that God is a great and mighty God. And we should never take for granted what God has given us. And always remember that every day you live, I have a choice to make. Will I serve him? Will I love him today? Will I think upon him? Will I dedicate this day to him? Will I say, Lord, is this the right steps I'm to take today? Because if you're not willing for God to say, don't step there, step this way, God can't talk to you if you're not willing to accept anything he says. If you've done made up your mind, I'm running my own life, I'll do it my way, and whatever God has to deal with me after that, that's whatever. Well, that ain't the way God, God's looking for a heart for him. A heart that loves him. What is our goal in life? What is the goal for me and you as Christians? What should be the goal inside of our mind? I wrote this down. Our goal is to dwell in his presence. Now let me tell you something. I ain't just talking about walking around in the spirit of God. I ain't just talking about having a good church service or feeling the presence of God. But I'm talking about where is my final goal? 
Where am I going to when I leave this life? You may be a young person, you might be an old person, but you know no matter what, you are heading down that road to those days at the end. And you look at the nursing homes and you look at people getting elderly and they get to the place where they can't hardly take care of themselves and you get down on yourself thinking, oh, I ain't got no hope for tomorrow. Yes, you do. I know that my Bible teaches me that one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Not just in his house here, not just in this temple here, but I will dwell in his presence. How many knows God wants to dwell with us someday? That's the goal. He's got a finished work to do. And you and I can be a part of that. That's what he's desiring is for people to come. And to say, I got a goal line that I'm shooting for. I'm shooting to be in God's presence someday. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I was a preacher. Not because I did anything. But because I know that he knows my heart loves him. And I want to be in his presence. Do you want to be in his presence? Do you desire, is that the desire of your heart to say, Lord, I want to dwell with you someday. I want to be where you are. I want that in my soul. I want that. And my in the flesh fights that. He don't want that. He wants me to take care of me. In Isaiah 57, 15, I'm going to read a couple verses here. It says in Isaiah 57, 15, I want you to listen to this. For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, this is God speaking, I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Who are these contrite? Who are these humbled? Who are these people? Are you one of those that are contrite and humbled? Because I'm going to tell you something, other. The Bible says he's dwelling with those people. Not you good, good people. Not you that dress up nice. Not that you that look good. Not that you that accomplish a lot of things that you can put your name in the Trump Tower or somewhere up there and call your name Trump. You know what? That ain't going to get him nowhere with God. And I pray for him every day. But you know what? That's not going to rescue him. God says, I'm going to dwell with those of a contrite and a humble spirit. That means somebody that's broken. See, we are doomed when we are born to be a, a, a person that falls into sin. There's a thing inside of everyone that's born with this nature of sin, and we're going to find ourselves sinning down the road. As bad as I hate to say it, Chrissy, little baby, little baby James is going to have to come to the place, to the fork in the road, where he chooses to say, I want to go with God. Because every one of us here, if you know Christ at all, you came to that fork in the road. And I can look, and I've said this before, you can look at Hollywood. You can look at all the people that has all the glory of the flesh. And I look at them, and I think somewhere in their life, they came to a fork in the road. And they didn't choose God. They chose their self. 
They chose what the world was going to give them. They chose what the flesh was going to give them. I'm not putting nobody down. I want to be where he is, so I want to understand what he wants out of me. He wants me to be broken from myself. Self, get back in line. Self, quit looking at yourself all the time. Quit looking at you. It ain't about you. It's what I want you to do. I mean, here's what I'm saying. I want to be in them presence. I want to dwell with him. So I got to learn in life that somewhere down the road, I got to be a broken and a contrite person. A contrite person is someone that's crushed. They're broken. You ever been crushed? Have you ever had your heart broke? Have you ever been hurt so bad, loss of a loved one or a loss of somebody that you're you didn't know how you was going to walk the next day. You didn't know how you was going to get up. You didn't even want to get up and walk without them. But see, there's a crushed person there, a person that's broken. Well, you got to be broke from yourself, Lord. I can't be everything for me. I keep running into these walls that I can't fix. I keep running into those things of the flesh that constantly hinder me. I want to dwell with you. I want to be your child. So you have to fight yourself. God's not done with you. See, little James just starting. But he's going to have to grow up. He has to grow. You know what? We have to spiritually grow. You don't just grow when you just learn Bible. You can study the Bible and you can be an educated person and you can fill your brain with a whole lot of Scripture. And you can quote it in almost every Bible study you're in and, and, and place that you get the opportunity to speak it. But can I tell you something? You need to learn to apply what he's saying to your heart, to you personally. Because, see, it'll correct you. If it can't correct you, you think you've already arrived. Then you're in trouble. Jesus came to do the work for us. We couldn't do it says in Isaiah 61, 1, one verse, the Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me. You remember Jesus quoted this. But he says, the Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and open up the prison to them that are bound. I don't know if you know it or not, but we're bound. If you don't know Christ, you're bound. And some of you that know Christ, that keep dabbling back into the, the old man, guess what? He's going to bind you back up again. You need, you need freedom. You need freedom to serve him. You need to rise up every day and say, Lord, I'm your child. What do you want from me today? Where do you want me to go? Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And he saves such that's of a contrite spirit. I wrote down brokenhearted means crushed by sorrow or grief. I wrote down a contrite spirit is the sense of guilt, sorrow for sin or wrong. If you're not sorry for the sin you're in, and sometimes, and I want you to hear this because I'm going to go there. Sometimes we're sorry, but we're only sorry it worked out wrong. We're only sorry we got caught. We're only sorry for the consequences of what happened because we did the wrong thing or we thought the wrong thing and we shot our mouth off and got ourselves in trouble. 
How many knows God's looking for godly sorrow? God's looking for God. He wants you to be sorry. Lord, I'm sorry that I broke your rule. I'm sorry that I took my life and I didn't ask you. I just went and did what I wanted. So, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry, God. And I'm repenting till I won't do it again. I'm turning myself around. I'm not going to. You show me, Lord, I've done wrong. And I'm going to show you I'm going to walk for you now. And I'm going to get victory over this problem. Isaiah 51, this is, this is David talking after he had sinned. He says, for thou desirest not sacrifice or else I'd give it. Thou delightest not in the burnt offering. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise that. See, David knew. That's why David's a man after God's own heart. Because David knew what God expected. He expected him to say, I'm guilty. Hardest thing for somebody to do in the flesh. It's the hardest thing in the world to stand before uh, God and say, God, I'm guilty. Not somebody else. I'm not blaming somebody else. I'm guilty, Lord. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. You can always go to somebody else and tell them forgive me. But you need to first come to him because it's him first that you have broke his life. You have broke his heart. You have broke his way. And I'm talking about the way that he has saved you. And see, little, little James cannot do everything he's told. When you get a little bit older, like little Chloe, <laughs> she might say no every once in a while. James don't say no too much. But that day comes, don't it? And when they do, guess what? They're wrong. They don't see what mommy and daddy's saying. They don't see it their way. They want their way. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, that's what I was talking about. It says, now I rejoice, not that we were made sorry. Paul said, I'm not rejoicing because I made you sorry. Because sometimes you listen to what I'm telling you and you come up guilty and you feel like you're, you're guilty and everybody's pointing at you and even I'm looking at you and I'm not. You think I know your business, I don't. And I'm not trying to point nobody out. I don't want to shine a light on you. I know the gospel's going to shine a light on every one of us. But I'm not trying to put the light bulb on you even though you feel guilty. But Paul said, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorried to repentance. You sorrowed to repentance. When you got sorry because you knew you were guilty and you repented, Paul said, I'm rejoicing over that. I'm not happy to make you sad. I'm not happy that you walked out feeling guilty. I'm not happy because you're, you're in sin and you refused to admit first that you're a sinner. It says, for you, have made, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Paul's not trying to damage them. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. That means never to be regretted. Did you ever get back and right, it, right with God? Don't regret it. When God opens the door of grace to you and says, come back and, and 
repent of your sin and you do and he receives you, you don't regret it. You're thrilled to death for it. I ain't never seen nobody dying. They'd say, well, I'm just, I wish I hadn't changed my way. I wish I'd have stayed in the, in the bar where I was at. I wish I'd have stayed where I was at. No. They're happy for every th- day they served God rightly. They're happy for every time they repented of the sin and God released them and God forgave them. But the sorrow of the world works death. Worldly sorrow is self-centered sorrow over what sin cost us. All we're worried about is what we're going to lose out of it. I got knocked off my little platform. I got knocked off my little plateau. What I'd built myself up for, sin knocked me back off of it. And all I'm worried about is what I'm losing out of it. You know what the biggest loss is? The biggest loss is we've lost God. Because you're not really sorry for your sin. You're just sorry you got caught. I don't know who I'm talking about. I'm not pointing to nobody. So Just hear it. Change, of, change the attention here now. I want you to look at this. Psalm 1611. There's a verse there. And it says this. And I know it's talking about Christ. David is uh, speaking this psalm, but he's talking a lot about Christ because it even talks about some of the things that happened to Christ. But this last verse of Psalm 16 says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Praise God. See, I know that when I'm forgiven, how many knows when I'm forgiven, When I'm back in right with God, I'm happy. Aren't you happy? Ain't that the place to be? You know what? I almost wish I could just, Lord, just take me out of here because I'm probably going to fail you again. And I don't want to fail you again. I don't want to ever fall back into that place again. But here he's, he's saying, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Wow. You know what's going to be like when we get home? Fullness of joy. In his presence. No sins allowed up there. Like I said, there won't be no, there won't be no uh, congressman in the back corner making deals. I'm sorry. No place for them. But it's also talking about he will show me the path of life. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, it's hard to explain to the world because they look at me and you coming into the same church talking about the same God, talking about the same Bible, talking about the same uh, song sometimes. We worship over the same song. Sometimes we're jumping up and down. Sometimes we look like we're ready to cry. And sometimes we cry. And they almost look at the world, looks at you, and they don't understand. They, they get a life. Boy, you need to go out and find you something to do. And I tell you something, there's pleasure forevermore when you're in Christ. When you're in his arms, when you're in around his people and around the presence of God, there is pleasure forevermore. He not only heals you and revives you and restores you, but he's your blessing of tomorrow. Everything he wants to do in you, it's, it's wrapped up into him. 
There are two kinds of paths. One of them, Matthew 7, Jesus said it, enter ye in the straight gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the way, it leads to destruction. Many there be that go thereat. But cause straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and there's few that find it. I want to be led to life, don't you? I don't want to take that path that everybody is going on that goes to death. I want to get on that path to life. You know what that means? I got to quit going with the flow. I got to start swimming upstream. I got to go against the flow. You hear what I'm saying? We got to start fighting against this world, this flesh, and the devil, and we begin to walk in him and know that we're whole, and that he can take us right through the midst of this flow of this flesh. And he can make you a child of God. In Psalms 31, 19, he said, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought in them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Listen to this next verse. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence. From the pride of man, thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of the tongue. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about keeping you while you're living. He ain't talking about just delivering you at home. He's talking about keep you while you're a child of God. Listen to me. My Lord can hide you. He will hide me. He will hide you if you want to be kept. But so many people, they're living for God one day in the church with their hand in the air, and two days later, they're out in the world doing everything the world wants to do. Why? They haven't made up their mind, Lord, you can keep me from those things. You have power to show me how to walk this walk in the midst of this world. If you don't show Christ that changed you, how do you expect the world to see that? How do you expect your loved ones, your friends to see that there's been a change inside of me if we don't walk this? When we come into this house, listen to this. Serve the Lord, the 100th Psalm, the second verse. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. How many knows we do a little bit of singing here? And I'm glad we do. Because, see, I know sometimes the sound of the, of the beauty of the hearts of people crying out in praise to God, it brings his presence into the room. The Holy Spirit is welcome to come into the room. He's been opened the door to. Come, Lord, be a part of our worship. We want to worship you. We're not... We're not entertaining or serving somebody that way. We're serving you, Lord. And we want your presence to be welcome in the house. And let me tell you something. When the presence of God shows up, you learn stuff. You're growing then. See, you, I, I not only feel his presence in the singing, but we come to church looking for his presence. And I also come to to the Bible study looking for, looking for him. 
I don't go to the Bible study looking to see how good Maria or my Sunday school teacher teaches. I'm looking to see what God has to say to me, looking for his presence. I want him to open up my eyes. Every one of us is in a walk with, with just us can't tell you what your problems are. God can tell you what your problems are. God knows everybody in this place and where you're at. But I don't know where you're at. You don't know where I'm at. But one thing I am, I'm standing before God. And so are you. And as you stand before God, guess what? He knows of your heart. He knows the sin that bothers you. He knows the things that, that are keeping you from, how do you say it, surrendering all to him. He knows what it is. And you're restraining God. You're not restraining yourself. You're restraining God. God wants to do a work in you. That's how we grow in his presence. Now listen to David. After he had sinned, Isaiah or Psalm 51 11. Listen to what David said. He cried out to the Lord after he had sinned. This man after God's own heart. I want you to hear what he says. He said in verse 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I don't know about you, but if you come to a place where you've sinned, listen to me. Get on your knees and cry out to him. You hear what I'm telling you? Don't go try to work it out. Don't go try to fix it on your own. You can't do it. Your words, your vocabulary won't fix it. But David knew that. See, he knew, I can't bring sacrifices to God. That ain't what he wanted. But he said, I cast me not away from your presence, Lord. In his presence is joy beyond measure. In his presence. You can get in his presence in the middle of your car driving down the street. You can get in his presence in the middle of the night when everybody else is asleep. I have laid on my pillow and wept because what God was saying to my brain. Not because I was smart, not because I came out with some great thing, no. It's just he's speaking personal to me. And that thrilled my soul that my Lord loved me enough to show me something. It's in his presence is what I want you to hear. On down in that 139th Psalm where I read about the baby, it said in verse 7, Where shall I go, David said, from the Spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Even there, God, when you, are love, when you love God, listen, it reminded me when I read that, because it says, if I take the wings of the morning, that means I just get up and I take off, like I said last week, about sometimes you just want to head down 75. Don't look back. But the real truth is, Jonah got right up and took off. But even if Jonah made his bed in the depths of the sea, guess what? God knew where he was at. 
Don't you know God knows where you're at at all times? You really can't run from him. You really can't get away. He knows all things. You may think you're running. You may think you're getting away. But as long as you know the truth of the gospel, as long as you know in your mind what Jesus Christ has done inside of you, guess what? There's no place to run from that. Sometimes we don't like what God's telling us to do. David knew he had problems. He knew when he had failed God. This is David writing later after that. But he says, even there thou shalt, shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You can't really run. David knew I couldn't get away from God. I knew it was him, Bobby, that I broke his heart. David knew that. He could apologize to Uriah, but Uriah was dead. He couldn't apologize to Bathsheba. He couldn't apologize to nobody and make it right. But he had to apologize to God because he had broke God's law. And he knew where he was at. In Jeremiah 23, 23, God said this, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? More or less, is God just God today? Is he just your God for today? Is he your, how do you say, fix me up today, Lord, so I can go on my way? No, I want you to understand, he's your God for life. He says, I, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Doesn't God fill the whole earth? Did you know God is all present and knows all things? Boy, that's scary, you know? Some of you kids, you're glad your parents ain't all present and knows everything about you. But I want you to understand something. God knows all things, and he's everywhere. And the beauty of it, he loves you anyway. The beauty of it is you can't hide from him. He made us. He created us. And he is all-knowing. Omniscient, they call it. It's felt like omniscience, but that means he's all-knowing. And omnipresent, that means he's all places at all times. You can call on him when you're out west. You can call on him when you're on a, in an airplane, thousands of, miles, thousands of feet up in the air, because God's everywhere. Aren't you glad he's a God of, of who he is? I'm glad. I'm going to change again. Maria brought something up. She brought something up Thursday night. And I wrote it down, Maria, because I had some other stuff with it. But I want you to hear this. In Luke, the first chapter, this was Elizabeth and Mary. Mary had just been visited by the angel. Mary's been told... You're going to have a child. Now listen to me. Angel told her all the details, what to call him and everything. But what did Mary say? How can this be? I've never been with a man. How can this be? Now I want you to think about what I'm saying. 
She's saying, how can I have this man when I've never been with a man? How can this be? And she also said, after that, the angel answered her and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come on thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now I want you to think about this, a young girl, 16 years old probably, somewhere in that area. She's young. She is pledged to Joseph. Joseph gets a visit by the angel in Matthew. She gets the visit in Luke. But I want you to hear something. She has came to her cousin. After she does this, she comes to her cousin Elizabeth, which is an older lady that's pregnant herself. First time she's ever had a child. But she, Mary, makes the trip to go to see her. And when she gets there and that door opens and she comes to Zechariah's home and she comes into Elizabeth, Mary begins to do the salutation, they called it, which is what he, she's telling her story, Bill. She's telling Elizabeth what the angel said to her. And she even told her, how could this happen without I was with a man? And she told her how this miraculous thing was going to happen and how that the, the shadow of the Almighty would come upon her and she would that holy thing that would be in her would be the Son of God. How many knows Zechariah and, and Elizabeth worked in the temple? They knew the law. They knew the words of God. And they knew that the Messiah was coming. And Mary comes and tells in Elizabeth's ears. Now, I want you to hear this. And as soon as Elizabeth heard it, she's pregnant herself. She's got her own first going on. She's an old lady never had a child. She's got her own problems. But when young Mary comes and tells her the story, I want to tell you something. The baby inside, when it hit her ears, leaped inside of her. What was going on? The presence of God showed up. Listen to me, the presence of God will show up in your life. And when he does, he'll change things. He'll, he'll hit you with something and you'll just sit and cry because you know it was God that said it to you. It wasn't man. It wasn't my little brain that figured it out. No, it was God spoke to my heart. God spoke to Elizabeth and put a charge in her. And you know what she said in verse 40? She entered in, uh, see, uh, I ain't got that wrote down. Uh, I ain't got that part wrote down. But she, you read that whole story in there. Elizabeth was so excited. She, I know what she said. She said, but who am I? More or less, who am I? Why, why me? Why have, the, has you, have you come and the Lord is coming through you? Why did you come to me? I'm nobody. That's what she's saying. In a sense, why me? But see, her baby was the forerunner for Jesus. That's why. It wasn't just because they was cousins and they were having a little meeting, having a little gossip line. No. She come to tell her what was going on in her. 
She come to tell her an angel came to me and said these things to me. It was a sign. What was the sign? It was the sign of his first coming. The sign of Jesus' first coming. It's written in Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. How many knows Elizabeth knew that? A virgin. The old saying, there's a virgin going to have a baby? I don't think so. Some of them just turned that off. Some of them didn't believe it. You know what? We got another promise going on today. He's coming back for us. And that promise is going on, and people keep looking like, I don't see how that can. What if I'm inside of a building? How come I go through the roof? How's this going to happen? Jesus said this, a promise to his disciples. Verse 3 of John 1, or John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. How many knows that's a promise from Jesus? I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I don't know about you, Carl, but that's beautiful. That's a promise to come from the words of the Son of God. Guess what? Elizabeth heard the first promise prophesied, heard it come true. We're going to see this come true. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I get a little bit excited about this. I can tell you right now, there's more than that going on. It says here in 1 Thessalonians 4:16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Guess what? What, her, what Elizabeth heard in her ears not only touched her off because of the presence of God, you just wait till the trumpet sounds. You just wait till the Son of God steps out into the clouds and shouts for his children to come home. It says the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We, ain't, we don't have to ever separate from him ever again. That's a promise. Jesus' first coming you, they've tried their best to stump that story out. They can't do a thing with it. The Savior of the world came to save. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says this, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's just another way. Paul's telling it another way. To the Corinthians. But he's telling them, you're going to get an incorruptible body. You think Christians are nuts talking about going home? You think we're nuts to believe that? Guess what? When the presence of God comes out shouting, we will know that we have trusted the right one. Goodbye, old world. Goodbye, old devil. I'm through with you. And you're defeated again. We got a promise going on inside of us that we need to remind ourselves who's who it is that promised it and where it's going to end up. 
we're going to end up in his presence. Not because of what we've done. When John the Revelator, in the fourth chapter, when the first verse, I just want to read the first verse, it says, and after this I looked, John said, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Who's the trumpet talker? Jesus. He's called him up. Some believe this is talking about the church being caught up. Because see, once John, in the fourth chapter, goes to heaven, everything that he talks about, church is still in heaven. He's never told how they come back. Or John never, and it talks about the four and the 20 elders. That's probably talking about the church because they have crowns that they give. Listen to this. I'm almost done. Becky, come on back up. Revelation 4, 8. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were all filled with eyes within. What's John talking about? He's talking about standing before the throne. How many knows John is in the presence of the throne of God? You remember Isaiah got to go to the throne of God? And you remember how Isaiah fell on his face and said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Well, John the Revelator was caught up to the throne of God. And it says here, the four beasts with the six wings about them and full of eyes, and rested not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and which is to come, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lived forever and ever, then it says, verse 10, the four and the 20 elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that lived forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. That's the church, see? See, we earn crowns. You get If you just accept Christ, guess what? You've already got a crown of life coming. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus did all the work. He paid all the price. But if you don't know him, you won't be there in his presence. I'm trying to warn you. I'm really trying to tell you the truth. This has got to be personal with you. The last verse. And thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were all created. I'm glad for the word of God. Because see, the word of God has got his presence in it. You start reading it, and all of a sudden, it begins to talk to you. Sometimes you can read some story. I've read the stories after story of the same story. I've read Jonah a hundred times. But last week I got talking about Jonah. I got all excited again. Why? Because it's alive. The whole story's alive. The Bible's alive. It's food for my soul. It feeds me. It feeds my faith. It feeds my belief that God has made a promise. He wrote all this down that me and you can get it in our mind that our heavenly Lord desires you to be in his presence for eternity. Praise God. He made a way for you and me. Don't tell me God don't care. Don't tell me God can't forgive. 
See, I got friends at work that used to tell me, oh, you don't want me to go to your church. The walls will fall down. Barry told me, Barry told me one time, Dave's friend. He said, you don't understand, I'm a black sheep. And I said, Barry, you don't understand, we're all black sheep. We're all black sheep to Christ. We all have been in sin. And if we didn't have a Savior, we're lost. You can't, pin, you can't pinpoint anything that Jesus didn't pay for already. He loves us. He's been reaching out to us. He's trying to prepare us to get ready to go home. I'm glad this ain't home. Ain't you glad? I'm glad, Liz, there's the presence of God. He may not always show up with some elaborate thing, but all of a sudden, that still small voice, he'll speak something. And I realize, you know what, I ain't got to be afraid no more. I come over here one night on a Wednesday night. I'm going to tell this real quick. I come over here, and my children are having troubles in their life. And my wife was sitting home. She was sitting there petting this little black dog that neither one of us liked. She was crying like a baby. And I come over here, and I didn't want to tell nobody my problem. So I come up to the altar, and I begin to cry, and I begin to say, God, I'm sorry, Lord, I failed. I failed as a father. I failed my wife. I failed in all these areas, God. And you know what God simply little voice said to me? It ain't over yet. That's all he said to me. Just a still small voice. And I rose up at her and I stopped that crying. And I went home and that's the first thing I said to my wife. God said, it ain't over yet. Praise God. And it wasn't over yet. See, we bury ourselves with our worries and our problems. God's got a plan. I praise God. He's not just a God of now. He's a God of tomorrow. He sees everything. Everybody stand, if you will. You need Jesus, you come. If you're already ready and you know you'll be in his presence, if he shows up, then you know what? Praise God. I'm right with you. I will rejoice until he shows up. But if you're not ready, you know it. And you need to make yourself ready. I don't know how long God will wait. They always kept saying, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. But when he came, they wasn't ready for him. They couldn't receive him. Who, that, you mean that, Jesus, that's a Mary and Joseph's kid. That ain't no Messiah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Everybody turn away. Don't turn away from him calling you to his side. He wants to put his arms around you. Didn't you ever feel his arms around you and know that he was in the room and everything was going to be okay? Let me tell you something. That's what we need today. Let him do that in your heart. Do that in your life. You won't be perfect. That's okay. None of us are. But we're striving to make it home. We're waiting and looking and desiring. And I'm not listening to every prophecy that tells me, every prophet out there that says, oh, he's coming this day, he's coming. I'm not looking at that, but I'm listening for the voice. 
I'm listening. You come if you need to pray. It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to God. 